What's up, weebs, and welcome back to Anime Lane, the podcast where we take you down the Yellow Brick Road of Anime and have a look at everything it has to offer. I'm your host, Rebel Notorious, and I am once again doing a solo episode. Um, sort of continuing on from my last one, where I'm going to be talking about Legends of the Galactic Heroes, the new thesis season two. I'm not pronouncing the German version again. Um, and for now, as I'm recording this, uh, that's all I'm really going to be talking about, uh, but I have just been to see the new Dragon Ball movie, Dragon Ball Super Superhero, uh, so that will be attached to the title, just because I'm going to talk about it a little bit, but I, I just want people coming in knowing there's maybe light spoilers. Um, I'm conscious of talking about something that's, even when this comes out like a month after it's been in cinemas, because uh, this probably isn't coming out until the end of September, um, I'm conscious of talking about something that's probably not on home media, even at that point, because um, we probably won't get that until, like, maybe spring next year, if we're lucky. Um, so, yeah. I guess I'll just start with uh, Superhero, then. It, it was a very fun movie. Um, so, I went to see it in the cinema, of course, because uh, it's just released in the UK uh, today, which is the 17th of August. Weirdly, Crunchyroll kept sending me emails saying it was coming out on the 19th. Um, so, I don't know if that's a US thing, uh, but it's definitely out here, like on the Wednesday, which kind of married up great for my, you know, usual solo recording day. Um, so, yeah, Dragon Ball Super Superhero. One more super than it needs. Gonna be honest, it could have just they could have just called it a Dragon Ball movie, you know, Dragon Ball superhero. That would have been cool, especially given the very kind of like th- this film finds its root in the Kid Goku era of Dragon Ball. So like the Dragon Ball part of Dragon Ball, because um, it for anyone kind of unfamiliar with Dragon Ball, you have. In the, in the manga, the original manga, uh, it was all just Dragon Ball. There was no distinction uh, until Dragon Ball Super, which came out like 20, 30 years after the original manga ended. Um, but in the when it came to adapting the anime, they adapted the Kid Goku era as Dragon Ball. And then when Goku became an adult, it switched to Dragon Ball Z. Uh, so that's kind of the brief history of Dragon Ball, because I'm not going to get into that. Like I said, I'm not focusing too much on superhero, because um, like I said, spoilers, and people probably wouldn't have had a massive chance to see it yet, because um, I don't know what the UK uh, run is right now. I don't know how they're, how long they're going to be running it for and how, how readily available it will be to go see in the cinema compared to something like Top Gun or, or a Marvel movie. Um, but even then, you know, if I was seeing a Marvel movie the day it came out, I also wouldn't be talking about spoilers, uh, straight up. Um, so, just before I kind of really fully dive into it, I am recording on a different setup, so if I sound odd, uh, it's because I'm, I'm recording in, on my PC setup. Uh, normally I'm sitting at my table downstairs, uh, with the full mixer, uh, set up, uh, the, the, the microphone and everything like that. Um, but right now I'm using my my PC setup, which is the same kind of microphone we use for the podcast, I mean it literally is my, my podcast mic, um, wired through an, an audio interface into my PC, uh, which means I have significantly less control over how it sounds, all I have is volume control, um, 
by volume control I mean my gain. Uh, so I'm kind of just having to watch levels go up and down on my screen as I speak. Uh, I I have no control over how it sounds, so I'm gonna have to do. I may do post process on this. So if it sounds odd, I apologize. I just didn't want to set up all the equipment tonight. Uh, yeah. So Dragon Ball Superhero. I'm just gonna ditch one of the supers. <laughs> uh, very fun. Like I. I do this with like every movie is like when I want to see something I'll like avoid as much of the marketing as possible so going into it um and, like and, and I don't even know if they gave this away in the marketing is how connected it is to the very early parts of Dragon Ball when Goku was a kid and and all the kind of red ribbon stuff um because they're kind of like the main antagonistic force again in a sense um that's not too much of a spoiler, really. Uh, it does kind of go back to the Android um, arc as well, uh, but it's, it's th there's a lot of it kind of focused, hyper focused, not hyper focused, but like it, you know, takes uh, it pays nice honor and homage and acknowledgement to an era of Dragon Ball that a lot of people don't speak about very much anymore, um, or or like you know, distributors don't put as much focus on nowadays you know especially at least in the kind of anglosphere the the english-speaking world um you know america and, and like the uk is it's all very much dragon ball z dragon ball super dragon ball whatever the fuck's coming out right now um the 500th re-release of dragon ball z that all that sort of stuff um it sounds like i don't like <laughs> dragon ball like z or super or whatever but i do um dragon ball is very much a foundation of my my childhood childhood um especially the z era you know that was what was on tv that was all the the kind of games me and my friends were playing growing up um but like when i i i adore the original dragon ball as well i didn't watch that until i was like 18 um but i just i fell in love with that era of dragon ball so it's nice to see a movie that that acknowledges that again um, and I guess a light spoiler for this is that it surprisingly doesn't focus much at all on Goku or Vegeta. Like they're they're in the movie a little bit, but they're like not they're not the main characters this time. Um, the main character of this movie is very much actually Piccolo, uh, which you know kind of took me by surprise. But I was very happy with that. It's a nice change. It's very refreshing. Um, and it's nice to see a character who even though he's a main character, doesn't get, like, a massive amount of focus in any of the story arcs, um, at least in the anime. I don't know where the super manga is at this point, if that's maybe focusing on other characters, but every time I see a notification from the Shonen Jump app talking about it, it's it's usually Goku or Vegeta, because it is, it's always about them. This, You know, they're they're the popular ones, they're, they're the front and centre characters. But this one is very much focused on everyone else. It it removes Goku and Vegeta, and by extension Beerus and Whis, because uh, like they're kind of connected to Goku and Vegeta at this point, um, and they kind of come as a, like a, a a package deal. You can have Goku and Vegeta without Beerus and Whis, but you can't have Beerus and Whis without Goku and Vegeta for the most part. Um, at least that's how the movies kind of view it a little bit. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, sorry, because I went to see it in the cinema, I couldn't take notes, so I'm kind of, uh, I'm trying to remember the things that I picked up on when I was watching it to, to discuss, 
Um, and like I said, I don't want to go into too much detail. So yeah, the, the great thing about the movie is that it kind of focuses on all the other characters, and so it's not really like... The, the normal formula for Dragon Ball is that people or the characters, it's like they, they'll try their best in a fight, but they always have Goku as a fallback. And and it's not Goku and Vegeta. It's it's always Goku. Even if Vegeta's involved, he's he's the strongest person in any situation that involves the other characters until Goku shows up. And so it's usually everyone's waiting on Goku to step in. And this one kind of entirely removed Goku and Vegeta. And so it's more about the characters figuring it out on their own and dealing with the situation with the abilities they have at their disposal. And that was great because it meant there was more focus. Like I said, Piccolo is very much the main character of this movie, um, and it also means that Gohan gets a lot of kind of attention in this movie. He's not got as much screen time as Piccolo for like a kind of. It, it, it deals with his current character, like where his character is at right now within the Dragon Ball franchise, and that's nice because, uh, yeah, I feel like Go Gohan's never had like. A really great storyline like even in super um because it was going on during the the tournament of power stuff it felt a bit undercooked um i feel like gohan has just always been done dirty mainly because you know back uh when the cell saga ended in the manga originally uh toriyama akira toriyama the original author of dragon ball wanted to end the series but it was massively popular, so Shuisha, who own uh, Weekly Shonen Jump, as well as a bunch of other shonen magazines, um, wanted it to, to continue, and so Toriyama's idea after that was to have Gohan become the main character, uh, but that didn't quite go according to plan, everyone wanted Goku back, and so an interesting storyline that was kind of, that could have been uh, with Gohan never came to fruition and we ended up with the Majin Buu storyline which isn't a particular favorite of mine I must admit so yeah I don't think there's anything I can oh I guess I can talk about the animation um because a big thing about this movie is that it's the first I think it's the first anyway predominantly 3d CG uh Dragon Ball movie this this has become a kind of recurring thing uh, for anime franchises recently, um, there's there's been a few other franchises that have taken this kind of like and and one of their movies they've they've fully gone 3D CG with it. Like um, I know is it Doraemon Doraemon I I'm not entirely sure how you pronounce it. I think that had two 3D CG movies. I believe they were called Stand by Me. Um, I think they're on Netflix at this point. You know you had Lupin. Um, and you, you had One Piece, actually this isn't even recent, this is like a while ago, this was movie, I believe 11 was a 3D CG movie, uh, that never made it to the West, uh, it was like a 40 minute thing that kind of just exper experimented with, uh, the, the, like 3D CG, like One Piece as a thing, um, so yeah, it, it looks great. Um, it's not the first time that Dragon Ball has included 3D CG. Uh, the Broly movie had some like cuts in there that were CG. Uh, I This was something like when I originally watched Broly and every time I watch it again, I wonder if they used the um, 
the the Fighter Z engine because it looks like very similar in in that movie. Uh, this one, uh, this one, it looks great, and it I, and I think it's less jarring because Dragon Ball has a history of using 3D CG cutscenes and its games like um dragon ball's a massive franchise so there's like tons of video games like just an incalculable amount that i'm not even going to look up right now um and i've played a lot of them from the ps2 up to the current gen not that there's an actual native current gen dragon ball game yet please give me xenoverse 3 please give me xenoverse 3 i just want another xenoverse game anyway um so I'm very used to 3D CG Dragon Ball and kind of that cel-shaded uh, look that those games all have. But this one is extremely competent because it looks great and stylistically matches the current era of Dragon Ball from like Battle of Gods up till now with all the content that's come out. Broly stylistically kind of stands on its own. It's got its own kind of look and vibe to it. Um, but when it comes to Battle of Gods, uh, Resurrection F, Super, those all have l like a new look to them that updated Dragon Ball to the modern era. And like Superhero takes that and almost merges it with the original look and feel of like the cell animated stuff you know like gt z and dragon ball not quite the same um but i'd say it looks slightly better than super and battle of gods and resurrection f oddly enough um it feels slightly more true to dragon ball style than those do um and what was odd is like there's a couple of like flashbacks to you know original Dragon Ball era, Z, and seeing those, like, completely reanimated in a modern style, and, like, those are the only parts of the movie that are, like, hand-drawn animation, so, like, 2D and not 3D CG, and those look great. I really want, like, a, a just a full reanimation project of Dragon Ball, going from the very beginning, chapter one of the manga, Goku, Kid Goku, all the way through to the end of Z, um, it's something that I think the franchise could actually benefit from a lot. It would give the Kid Goku era a new lease of life. Um, it would mean that Z finally gets the canon adaption that it really needs. Um, because, you know, they tried Dragon Ball Kai or Z Kai, as I guess, as it's known here in the West, where they, like, edited Z down to just the canon material um but because the film is in so bad a state that means that some stuff was reanimated and it looked horrific um so yeah i i think looking at the style they picked for those scenes in this movie absolutely want uh, a full reanimation project for super uh, not super for dragon ball the original manga and that style that would be amazing um so yeah i think i'll leave it there for super it was fun i love the change of pace from fo for focusing on other characters um 
and yeah, I, that's the most I can say without getting into any spoilers, I think. Uh, so yeah, I'm just going to move on to uh, Legends of the Galactic Heroes, the new thesis. Um, season 2, so I, I obviously, uh, in my last episode that I did on my own, I spoke about Legend of the Galactic Heroes, the new thesis, season 1. God damn, it's a lengthy title. Um, so yeah, this was a great season, like god damn, this show continues just to get better and better. Um, one thing I did notice at the beginning, so I actually have notes for this one this time. Last time I was working totally without any notes, so I apologise for how that discussion ended up. Um, so jumping straight into season two, I noticed that season one kind of ended in a bit of an odd place. Because episode of season, episode one of season two just wraps up the very end of, like, season one straight away. Like... It ended on a cliffhanger from them retreat. Not they were gonna retreat, and then they had to, uh, like go to Armistar, I believe it's called, um, and that was where they were gonna fight, uh, the Imperial forces before they could leave the Imperial, like zone, uh, back to Alliance territory, and the first episode just like totally wraps it all up. Um, and I get that if this was a movie, like, if, if season one was also a movie run in Japan, then having a cliffhanger makes sense. But God, I wish they had just wrapped that up so that we could go straight into the story in season one. It may have mean, it may have meant that season one was 13 episodes, but I would have been cool with that. One extra episode isn't much of an issue for me. Um... It was, and then you know, during that we see that Reinhard kind of finally has a chink in his armor when he faces Yang again, and then Yang escapes again, and that kind of very much annoys him. Um, and then we get in after that, we get into the main story of season two with uh, the death of Friedrich the Fourth, the current emperor of the. Um, the imperial the galactic empire yeah that's it sorry i keep forgetting what they're actually called um yeah that's that totally caught me caught me off guard because it like throws just the entire trajectory of the story on a different line um because it means that instead of moving at a steady pace towards reinhard's goal and a will he won't he you know, will he get enough allies? Will he tell someone that eventually rats him out? It's just, it gives him an opportunity to just grab on a power. And he does, he takes that so, like, he just grabs it fully. Um, and, and plays it fully to his advantage. And that was great. That was a great turn of events uh, that made this season really interesting. Because it plunged the, the Galactic Empire into a full-on civil war. And because they were experiencing a civil war, Reinhard then set it up so that the alliance would also fall into its own mini civil war. Um, and of course, I'd be remiss. Sorry. So if this discussion seems a little kind of frantic and all over the place, it's because I'm just kind of I'm scrolling through my notes, which are based on like as I like each episode as I watched it. Um, and so I just have here absolute banger of an e ending from Sawano again, because. <laughs> uh, um that would have been the end of the first episode i guess uh yeah i 
I don't think I mentioned the opening in season one. Uh, it's a track called Binary Star by Sawano, and I believe it is sang by Uru. You are you. Um, it's an absolutely fantastic song. I mean, I discussed this in the music episode of Nat, but Sawano is one of my favourite artists um, and soundtrack composers uh, in the anime industry. Uh, and so you also have the end. So you, the ED or the ending, sorry, for uh, season one. I don't think was by Sawano. Um, I don't remember the name of the song and I can't remember who sang it, unfortunately. Um, but then the ending of season two is another Sawano track uh, called Tranquility featuring Anley. And that is a great song. Uh, just a great ending. Uh, it really captures the vibe, much like Binary Star captures the vibe as well. Um, yeah, and then we kind of find out that Rubinsky, he he has his own agenda, but he's also tied to the Earth cultists who don't really come up a lot in season one. Um, they they come up a couple of times here in season two, and and I think they're going to become more prominent. Uh, maybe not in season three, um, going by episode titles, but maybe maybe going into season four, um, they they have a whole thing going on. Uh, then we actually had a meeting of Kirk Heiss and Yang in person. That, I, yeah, I liked that. That was cool because they, they meet and they, they get along. They kind of see the honourable, like, person that each other is. And that's cool. And everyone kind of on Yang's team uh, likes him as well. It, it, you know, it presents a likeable figure and the and the Galactic Empire for them a reasonable person that they think could possibly you know uh, mean that later down the line they can maybe negotiate a peace treaty or something like that and that unfortunately can never be now because Kirkheis fucking dies and that caught me way off guard so I'm jumping way to the end now but I cannot not talk about this until later. I I could not believe that they killed Kirk Heiss. Like, that is Reinhard's rock. He is the thing holding Reinhard together and from going off the rails most of the time. So what the hell's going to happen when he's not there? Like, oh my god. And it's entirely because of Oberstein. Who I'm not sure if I talked about in season one, but I just do not like him. There... He has not done anything wrong, per se, because even though he did something that led to Kirk Heiss's death, it wasn't a wrong decision, per se. But I just do not like this man whatsoever. Something about him, I just dislike him. Especially the way he tries to kind of worm in at Reinhardt's like, thinking process and kind of try and control the decisions that he makes. Um... And like I said, without Kirk Heiss, that's that's gonna be an, an issue, I think. Um, but yeah, no, that totally caught me off guard because I thought, you know, Kirk Heiss, he's he's a secondary main character. He's you know he's he's Reinhardt's best friend. He's gonna be there until the end, and then no, he he dies. And and seeing Reinhardt go to his gravestone, and it's literally just engraved with 
my friend above as as like the the epitaph oh that hurt oh that really hurt um so yeah jumping back to my notes uh yeah a lot of this is coming from like the the setup of the the coup d'etat going on and how there's like unrest in both sides which i i, I just mentioned uh oh, and then we have falk who joins the coup i did not mention him in the first episode and i meant to because oh this guy oh he was a total prick so he's he's the main reason sort of that they go into imperial territory at the end of season one uh and he kind of controls the decisions and he he blocks like the the request uh from the frontline fleets for retreat uh and then he's uh he's challenged by one of the people on the front line and like totally loses it and he is insane like he is just insane and so he just joins the coup because he feels slighted and then he he like kills uh a higher up um admiral person i think it's the chief of staff um and basically triggers the the coup uh so yeah he is a total asshole um yeah the, the civil war was cool because it meant that um it meant that you got to see some kind of close quarters fighting with uh mainly in the empire um when like uh they're they're gonna take a a, like a base similar to isla horn i'm i i forget its name um but meter meyer um and and rowenthal Oh, Rentenberg Fortress. I, I did write the name down. Um, yeah, when they're they're storming that, we get to see kind of some like close quarters combats where they have like these kind of mech suit type things that are are like uh, kind of like Iron Man, but not as humanoid when people are wearing them. Um, very. That was cool. That was very nice to see. Um, and it it, it and uh, during that it led to Reinhard uh speaking to the 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 kind of person in charge of of rentenberg fortress of lesser um who insulted his sister and basically reinhardt set it up so that he would look like a traitor to his side of the his faction in the civil war that was very nice piece of underhandedness from reinhardt there um yeah that was another thing i picked up on in this season is that the kind of religious foundation of the galactic empire is very much based on north mythology i didn't really like the capital's called odin and that i mean fair but i didn't realize that like odin's like their god and it's like their full foundation for this for their religion um because like they kind of mention you know going to odin and and death and and valhalla and stuff like that um so yeah i i found that interesting um you know i thought it was i shouldn't be surprised you know mainly germanic influences for the galactic empire um so yeah that that was just a neat little thing that i picked up on um oh and then jessica died so jessica was again i don't think i brought her up because my coverage of season one was not the best uh jessica is basically yang and his friend 
uh, whose name I've forgotten. He was actually she was actually engaged to Yang's friend who dies in the first couple of episodes of season one, um, and she becomes like a, a prominent anti-war political figure. Uh, and during the coup, when the um, what are they called? The National Salvation Military Council are kind of like being a police making everything kind of like a police state um she's organizing like a peaceful rally and things get out of hand and she she gets killed that was very sad um again she was another character who felt like she could have been a reasonable voice in the room um because once the coup is dismantled um the previous government are reinstated and like it's just straight back to all their underhandedness their corrupt political you know maneuvering and stuff like that um but it's one of those other things that like as i explained that situation of like you know when the coup is going on and the the police state and she becomes like an anti-war activist who runs for office and stuff like that it's just you know, reinforces how amazing the world building is of this series because you're not just there for, you know, Yang and uh, Reinhard and their journeys. It's like it's all the other characters that are involved as well, and you know, it you care for them. You know, you care for Kirk Heiss. You kind of cared for Jessica, even though she wasn't in it a lot. But you wanted the best for her. You wanted to see her, you know, get into office and actually shake up, you know, the the political system, and it's, it's, you know, this kind of, like, throwing you these left turns to kind of put you in a position of, like, well, what, what the hell's going to happen here? What what road are we going to go down? Because it looks like all the best options are being slowly closed off. Um, and then you have in the, um, in the noble faction of the Galactic Empire. So when the Emperor dies and they're looking for they're they're deciding on who the new emperor will be because he doesn't have an actual son uh he only has like a a grandson uh and like two nieces or something like that who aren't like blood related uh or, or from like married in or something like that um and so when reinhard sponsors the grandson or great-grandson or something like that um it basically splits the Galactic Empire's military in two. It, it splits it and everyone siding with Reinhard, who are mostly low-born people who have risen up the ranks in the military, and the nobles, who just want the status quo, who just want to be nobles. You know, I'm pretty sure anyone who has read anything about a monarchy, anything about this sort of kind of ruling system knows what i mean uh and anyone who's looked into like the the kind of tsar and like russian kind of wars and stuff it's it's not identical but it, it does take some inspiration from this which shouldn't be surprising yushiki tanaka bases a lot of his well i say a lot he only wrote two series as far as i'm aware um both are very much based in an actual history uh, and things that happened, obviously, Legend of the Galactic Heroes doesn't, you know, neither actually take course of, like, actually adapting history into a story, but it uses that as a foundation to build upon uh, an interesting and very rich story. 
um and so when they split you have the nobles who are you know wherever they are it's not rentenburg fortress but they're in another fortress kind of like again islahorn um and so you have the nephew of braunschweig who's like the co-leader um there is another one but he kind of dies very early on uh and, and i can't remember his name uh but he has but braunschweig has a nephew called flegel who is just ready to kill himself at any given moment and like so are all the young nobles who are on or obviously on the noble side uh like any any time it comes up that like you know something's gone wrong and they feel responsible it's like they just instantly pull out their guns and they're ready to kill themselves and it's like jesus settle down please um oh and then here's here's one of my main sticking points for oberstein and i said he didn't do anything wrong but he kind of actually did i i didn't like him from the moment he was like introduced as someone who would be siding with reinhard because there was just something about him that was off but then he then he encouraged reinhard to not stop a nuclear uh, attack on a colony uh so in a fit of rage because he's losing and his own people are rebelling against him on his his planet braunschweig decides to just nuke it and start over now he's advised against this by the same person in the room who's his his like uh his aide or whatever um but you know there's there's only so much he can do and he can't talk him down and so he goes ahead he's he's gonna go ahead with it and reinhard initially wants to stop it but oberstein advises him not to so that they can record it and show the people so they can show that this is the, what you know the corruption of the nobles so essentially braunschweig commits a war crime reinhard knows about it and just lets it happen this becomes and kirk heist does not like this decision obviously and he goes to speak to reinhard about it but reinhard just doesn't listen to him i mean kirk heist can't talk to him until after it because they're in different battlefields they're on different campaigns um and so it's not until after it's all happened and they meet up again that kirk heist very much makes it vocal that he was not happy about uh reinhard not doing anything about it um and then yeah sorry i i just noticed a really long section of my notes and i'm like why the hell did i write so much um oh yeah it's uh the different approaches to the kind of internal conflicts but you can kind of see so like each each uh each side of the the so you have the imperials and you have the alliance and each of them are kind of embroiled in their own inner conflict conflicts during this season um and there's like different approaches because you have a full-on civil war between two different factions within uh the the galactic empire and then in the alliance you have a coup d'etat uh but there is some parallel in their thinking such as reinhard you know like i said recording the nuclear attack uh and showing it to the people so that they can destabilize the faith they have in the nobles um and yang using bagdash to expose the coup 
for being a work of Reinhard from the the Galactic Empire. Uh, basically saying, you know, oh, it was the Galactic Empire that this is to sabotage us because they're going through their own civil war. Um, you know, one is objectively worse than the other because Yang's just using information that he has at hand um, because Bagdash is a turncoat. Uh, he's originally part of the coup, but when he meets Yang, he decides to flip because he realized that Yang is the one that can basically take back the situation and he that what the coup was was wrong. Um, to, to kind of put it lightly, everyone kind of still is side-eyeing him a little bit. Like, are you going to do something? Because he's a bit odd. Um, and then there's more, yeah, more seeds being sown with the Dominion of Pheasant during this season as well. Like I said, Rubinsky, um, who runs the place, is tied to the Earth Cult, although he still has their own his own agenda, it seems. Um, yeah, the Earth Cult was interesting this season because it turns out that they've influenced uh, the... Um, leader is it prime minister of the free alliance i forget what the actual title is um of the free planets alliance uh trunic um he he now seems to be an earth cultist uh an earth cultists and the galactic heroes uh mythos are people who still worship earth as the because that's the original home of humans and they want to recolonize it the problem is, is that Earth is still devastated by pollution and just, you know, natural decay over time. Because I think, by the looks of it here, um, it's slightly closer to the sun now. Uh, so it's, you know, it's it's drying up and stuff like that. Um, oh, and then we have our first defection in this season. Um, I, I would have expected, like, someone to do this. I guess, actually, technically... We've had two this season, one to each side. Because um, at the end of the season, uh, Mercat, who was originally like the... Um, I think Reinhard initially took over his position um, before he you know, seized power. Um, and Mercat ended up being on the side of the nobles when things started going wrong. He was there kind of like military advisor he was the person meant to be running the the military side of things but Braunschweig didn't listen to him and so Mercats realized that the situation was beyond saving he didn't want to submit to Reinhard um so he turned to the Free Planets Alliance and Yang I mean he actually sought asylum from Yang specifically um which I thought was interesting that Yang's reputation is that well known even in the galactic empire that if people were wanting to defect they see him as the most reasonable person and the most welcoming person to go to um and yeah yang happily takes him in um and so i i i hope he becomes part of yang's fleet i think that will be an interesting character dynamic you know someone who was staunchly imperial now being part of the free planets alliance um and and becoming one of yang's kind of core team that would be interesting, yeah. Uh, Braunschweig's death was a very intense moment. Um, and just going back to, like, kind of... Uh, the whole kind of fall of the nobles, I guess. The the fall of the Goldenbaum dynasty. Uh, he he kind of sees the end is coming. And he's like, well, shit, I guess I should take my own life to, to save some of my honour. Because that seems to be a very big thing for 
the the nobles here if if they disgrace themselves or if they're you know if they can't v valiantly die in battle th they have to kill themselves to save some face which is i find fascinating in and of itself um but he is such a coward that he can't bring himself to do it and when he's offered like a glass of wine that would make it painless and stuff like that he he's still too cowardly to drink it and so like you have his main aide and two guards like fully just restrain him while the guard the, the aide like forces him to drink the wine it's just an intense intense moment um it's weird because you kind of think in that moment that the aide has betrayed um Braunschweig but then he's the one that ends up killing Kirkhouse in an attempt to kill Reinhard um because he brings in Braunschweig's body in like a a, a coffin unit thing kind of sci-fi one uh but he had like a rocket launcher in it and so he takes it out and tries to kill Reinhard with it but Kirkhouse steps in knocks the shot off course but it turns out that the aide had a ring that apparently can fire laser beams and shot Kirkhouse which led to his death um but yeah and a very intense moment from Braunschweig which I was surprised by because like while he's you know the main antagonist for Reinhard this this season he wasn't he wasn't too much of an interesting character beyond you know committing a war crime and that was kind of his only interesting moment where it's like, oh, you are so far gone. But I can't believe that we got to that point before anything interesting was to happen with him. The people who were around him, the other nobles that kind of supported him, they were more interesting. I guess he only really supported him and, and made him the, the kind of co-leader, even though uh, the other leader died very early on, uh, because like they, they had some sort of legitimate claim to the throne. Um, and then we have kind of the fallout of Kirkhouse's death later, uh, after that, where, like, Reinhard has kind of fallen very much into a pit of depression, and so Oberstein, like, contacts his sister so that his sister can speak to her, him, um, and that leads to a very nice moment, uh, where, like, you think that the sister's also kind of leaving him, but then she's like, you know, promise me you'll you know concrete she's like i'm i'm gonna go live in like the countryside somewhere uh but you could come visit me if you get tired but i, I don't want to be in a big fancy mansion um and it leads to the moment where you know reinhardt asks if his sister Anne rose i believe um if she loved kurt Kais. and now for anyone in the audience it was extremely obvious yes she did love kurt Kais, and kurt Kais loved her their situations meant that they couldn't really express such uh, because, you know, Anne Rose was taken by the Emperor to be one of his mistresses or, or, or his, his wife or whatever. Um, and, you know, probably Kurt Kais out of respect for Reinhard when, and, you know, for respect to Anne Rose because the, the Emperor had just passed away, but mainly probably out of respect to reinhard and his friendship with reinhard he didn't want to approach Anne, um you know and in, in that capacity uh when the opportunity became you know when it became an opportunity that to do so um 
so yeah i just thought it was it was you know uh an interesting thing that like it's very obvious that they they love each other it's very much a mutual thing and just reinhardt apparently was just entirely oblivious to the fact like he couldn't tell his best friend was madly in love with his own sister i just find that weird um unfortunately yeah i thought when reinhardt died and it was kind of because of oberstein and his decision i thought that that would lead to like a massive crack and their relationship or that it would potentially cause reinhardt to cast oberstein out um but no uh unfortunately he's still very much part of reinhardt's inner circle um and and so i think that's gonna lead him down like a massive like a, a road that he's very much gonna regret um which i guess giving the trajectory of the story makes sense uh if anyone's gonna end up with a tragic ending in this it's gonna be reinhard just because even though both people are antagonists he's he's ultimately gonna be the final antagonist um unless someone else appears and becomes the final antagonist because even once you remove the earth cultists from it once they deal with that storyline it's, it's gonna have to be you know taking down reinhardt um as much as we we you know you're you're here to see his journey for that but ultimately what we want to see or at least if i'm to kind of psychoanalyze this the the appeal of this is that you know that they're gonna reach a point and it's watching them go up to that point but then you want to watch them fall because they're gonna become a twisted person um there's no way that reinhard can become the emperor and not become twisted by power and not become just another rudolph the original uh emperor of the galactic empire who was not a well-liked individual. I'm not saying he's going to be the same kind of hardline, far-right, um, Nazi-level, you know, politics that Rudolf had. Um, he'd probably be a bit more liberal because of his upbringing and stuff like that. But ultimately, he'd still be a dictator. And he probably would, you know, become disliked for various reasons across the story. So I'm interested in seeing that um sorry i just accidentally threw my phone <laughs> um so yeah i i'm surprised i thought i had more notes than that um so i i did write a little summary at the end there i jumped around a little and, and, and ignored some of my notes um mainly because i ended up talking about some of them just a natural kind of progression um so yeah i'll just read kind of the summary uh of, of it so you know great season um the parallel storyline continues to be just as strong as the first season and it really makes kirk Heiss's death much more impactful um because you know that yang has had a relatively easy time taking down the national salvation military council and like he knew you know he lost jessica uh because he he was she was killed during the coup but like it doesn't have the same I don't think it'll have the same deep impact um, as like Reinhard losing Kirk Heiss. Um and and like how how Reinhard loses Kirk uh, how Reinhard losing Kirk Heiss affects his decision making going into the next season and beyond. That's going to be like extremely interesting, um, and and I hope it leads to a breakdown in his relationship with Oberstein over time. So yeah, that 
that's uh that is legend of the galactic heroes the new season uh it was also dragon ball super superhero like i said i i don't want to get into that a lot um just yet because I'm, I'm aware you know it's a cinema it's just in cinemas it won't be out on home video uh like i said until spring next year if we're lucky possibly you know the latter half of next year um so yeah that i hope you've enjoyed this episode uh of course i'll be talking about season three at some point um as i watch that uh and i i i'm not entirely sure what i'll be talking about along with it because i'm kind of just uh i'm just kind of talking about stuff that i'm you know watching at the moment uh and the only other thing outside the seasonals that i'm watching alongside legends of the galactic heroes is free um but i don't want to talk about that just yet because i'm re-watching free in preparation for seeing um the final stroke movies uh which come out as i'm recording this in a couple of weeks but as this episode comes out they'll been out and i've been to see it um but i don't want to talk about free until i can talk about it with the final stroke being out on home video uh just because i i won't be able to take notes and it's a double billing of both movies so it'll be like three hours so trying to retain all the information i wouldn't be able to do an episode on it on its own especially because it's a limited time thing in the uk it doesn't currently have any announcement for the us and God knows when it'll come out in home media. So as it stands, I won't be talking about free until I can talk about all of them in succession, going from season one, Eternal Summer, take uh, high speed, take your marks, dive to the future, and the final stroke. Uh, so until final stroke comes out in home video, I won't be talking about that. So I'm not sure what I'm going to talk about next time alongside Legends of the Galactic Heroes. It might just be a soul. Uh, galactic heroes on its own uh but we'll see uh i'm gonna stop rambling because if i don't have anyone to kind of bounce off of i tend to ramble at the end um so yeah thank you for listening i hope you'll tune in next time and goodbye